Blog Talk Radio. Brothers and sisters, fellow entrepreneurs around the globe, it is 0600 hours Eastern, or for you nautical types of Romeo, 1000 hours Greenwich or Zulu time. This is Rudder Radio, your guide to thrive in any economy. And I'm William Eastman, managing partner for Applied Knowledge Labs North America, uh, better known around here as the Labs. We are a business research company that's changing the formula for success in companies from zero to 50 million in revenue. And I'm your host today for the next 30 minutes. And today's show is on the best practices of fast and sustainable growth. And today we're going to deal with our first best practice, and we call it competitive landscape, a term that we got from uh, Dr. Larry Porter at Harvard, in his definition of what's going on in the marketplace. But before we go there, let's uh, do our let's do our administrivia. Um, if you want to contact us, here's what we're doing. Uh, one is you can join the conversation right now and go to chat now, and you can get there by going to our show page at blogtalkradio.com/slash/therudder. T h e hyphen r u t t e r. You can dial in directly and join the show on the switchboard at three four seven. 215-7471. You have the option to send us a twit. I don't believe in tweets. Sounds like a bird. I'm not a bird, so send me a twit at W Eastman, W-E-A-S-T-M-A-N. And of course, you always have our show notes at the blog. The link to the uh, our blog page is um, on the show page. Or what you can do is you can Google it, and you can find it by typing in the rudder blog, and we will show up above the fold. In other words, you won't have to scroll the screen. So that's how you can participate. So where are we? Well, first of all, is that this is show three of 43, not the third show we've done, but we're in a new series. Now, this is the third series that we put together. And what we did in the first two series is we talked about some practical application. In the first series, it was around what are the stages of fast growth. And you, all you have to do is go to our show page look in the archives starting back in June, and you can get a sense of what are the six stages of growth. Then what we did, our second series, had to do with what are the characteristics, uh, strategy characteristics of those companies that became market dominators, those companies that are at least one in a thousand, if not rarer, who go from nothing to dominant leaders, the Googles of the world type of thing, and that we talked about what are the six characteristics so that if you're putting together a business strategy, what do you do? And then um, when that was done, then we said, okay, let's, let's give you the core of the research. Let's kind of open the kimono and show you all the goods. And uh, since this is family rated, I won't take that any further, uh, but show you what we've got going on inside. And so what we, what we did on the first show is to say, kind of lay this out. Yesterday's show, what we did there is we took 
one of the first categories. And so the format here, just to understand, so you understand the structure of the library. So view this as a library of books. And there are four sections of books. So one section of books is called market intelligence. We talked about yesterday. A second section of books is called branded strategy. A third section of books is called operations. And a fourth, a fourth section of books is called talent. And then if you look in there, each one of those sections has a book in it that is a best practice. And today's best practice is the one called competitive landscape. And what is competitive landscape? Competitive landscape is creating an accurate and complete picture of the entire marketplace. Uh, in other words, you go big before you begin to narrow down your focus. And it is used to identify current and future customer value. That's what you're trying to do with this particular best practice. So if I pull that best practice off the shelf, I will find that this one has four chapters in it. And those chapters are the attributes. And so I'll quickly go back to our research approach, and I'll probably hit this uh, several shows going forward, never knowing if you've been listening to the series or this is the first one. An attribute is actually what those companies did. And when we did our research, just as a quick review of that, is that after we looked at all of the various research projects, papers, reports, um, books uh, that are common literature that you could find in uh, Blue Indigo, uh, Books of Million, Borders, or uh, Barnes & Noble, um, this attribute, this thing that made them distinctively different, had to show up in 75% of those studies, which also meant that it was crossed verticals. It was across different types of organizations. And so if it showed up in those, then we kept it in the list. And that's what the attribute is. So for this best practice, this book that we're going to call best practice, let's take those four chapters. So chapter number one is impacting new customers. Now, what do we mean by impacting new customers? Okay, It is... How will my offer provide benefit to customers that I've targeted? The companies that I'm going to go after, how does my offer benefit them? Or if I'm selling to customers, then it gets a little bit more complicated because there, there is more emotion in the sale uh, than there is the businesses. Not saying that emotion is never part of the sales process. It always is. But in B2B, when you sell to businesses in a B2B exchange, um, you can really fo focus on benefit to them, and, and it's typically benefit to the business, which is a much more eh, rational is probably not the right word, but probably more fact-based. But when you sell to people, uh, depending upon whether you're selling something that is a commodity or something that is discretionary, is that you're either selling to a direct need that they have, like they need food, they need drink, etc., or you're selling to a lifestyle, as we talked about, I believe, yesterday, just briefly, um, in these, for example, the selling of automobiles. Automobiles are not a, the sale of an automobile for the vast majority of us is not a utility sale. It is not selling to the need; it's selling to the emotion because an automobile is a statement of who we are by clothing especially if you're selling clothing or products to women, then it's how does this make me look in total with everything else I'm doing. But what this attribute is about is trying to figure out is that what is the benefit to the business that we're selling to 
or to the individual so that I can take a look at what features we're offering uh, to make sure that there's a match. Uh, I know a lot of people, not, not so much entrepreneurs, or I, I'll take that back, I haven't counted a, a considerable number of entrepreneurs who seem to be apologetic about selling. So let's get at that one right here. Is that first of all, if you've done your qualification process well, you understand this particular attribute impacting new customers. The first thing you've done is you've made sure that the people that you're selling to have a need. Um, you're not trying to sell something that they they possibly cannot in, that they cannot use or has no impact on them. And that type of selling I'm not, I've never been involved in because I don't try to sell things to people that, uh, that they don't need. But the other thing that happens here is that if they need it, then you're really doing them a service. And depending upon your sales process, when we talk about the attributes around, the best practice in selling and some of the attributes with this, is that you typically have three approaches to sales, if I can group all the sales models together. There's the transactional model, which is basically order-taking. Uh, a catalog house. You wait for the phone to ring, somebody calls up and says, uh, here's my SKU number, uh, or here's the catalog number, uh, here's the page, here's the unit number, I want three of these. And then you get some conversation about shipping. That's order taking. You're providing no value to the customer whatsoever. Second type of selling is relationship selling, where it's, it, you've gone up a little bit, you are taking a transaction, but you begin to develop a relationship with the individual and so part of working with you is the pleasure of doing that and making the sales process easy. And you know them. You've got the background on them. That's why most CRM systems are effective if they're applied, uh, if they're applied in the right way in the sales process. And then kind of at the top of the hierarchy is what is called consultative selling, which is where most of uh, my businesses and most of my experience has been. And that is where, where you're taking this a step further and you're really diagnosing benefit uh, so that you can say, okay, given that, either one, we are not the right organization to work with you because we simply, our stuff doesn't do that, or number two, and this is what I have experienced a great deal of, is that you actually help the customer, prospective customer, to understand their own process better because effectively in a B2B sale is What's the impact of our offer on their competitive advantage? That is really the, the thought process that I want in my sales force. This is the thought process and the companies that we work with that they want in their sales force. And sometimes the people you're talking to haven't thought that through. I mean, as bizarre as that sounds, but if most of you have been selling, you know that you've had, you could see in their eyes that they had an epiphany. And so I think a well-structured sales process provides great benefit to the customer. And if you operate it that way and they perceive it as that way, then um, it, it won't make the sale by itself, but it certainly will be impactful. So impacting new customers is one attribute. Here's a second attribute. And by the way, none of these are in order. There is no sequence to these. What we did is we clustered and said, we had these four attributes, where do they fit? And they fit in, into this best practice called competitive advantage. Second attribute, impact on existing customers. And what this is, is by understanding an existing customer, one that you have, um, how do I improve 
the profitability or value of the relationship. And so in a B2B is working with them to say, hey, how is the stuff working for you? Um, and if you know what their competitive advantage is, you've helped them either help, either they've told you or you were helping. Then how well are we there and is there anything else that our product needs or services need to do in order to even provide greater value? And this is a great conversation to have with the customer in a B in a B to C where you're selling directly to customers is that how is it impacting the needs or how is it impacting the lifestyle? But I, my focus is predominantly in selling to businesses, and so that's where I want to keep the conversation. And this is the impact of client development. Uh, the first one was the impact of a very effective, well-run sales process. This one is the impact of a very effective and well-run client development process. And I'll tell you that in most of the small businesses I work with, they don't do anything in this arena. And so if there was one thing that you could do to improve your offer would be to take a look at, okay, we have an account. How do we work with that account? Because this is, this is about keeping the business. This is keeping them happy so they don't move on to somebody else. But this is also about upselling, is that the more and more that I understand them and the more and more I understand what value our products and services provide and what gaps there may be, the more that will help me to either make other suggestions to them because I may have, we may, I may have the ability to plug that hole or number two, this is data to go back into the company and say, hey, you guys, when, when we're thinking about doing an upgrade to the product, I can tell you where some of the holes are and if it did this, we could sell more, not only sell it to new customers, but we could upsell this into our existing accounts. So first one is the impact of a well-run sales process. This one is the impact of an effective client development process. Okay, the third one is making the rules. And I don't have any favorites here, really, when it comes to the attributes. Uh, there are 220 core attributes or 220 chapters in all these best practices books. But currently, we're only working with about 170 of them because in our original research, all of those were present, and we found about 50, about 50 of them were very specific to industries, and they were not generic, generic in terms of it didn't matter what vertical or industry you were in, uh, these were present. But of all of them, this is really my favorite, because what is making the rules? Making the rules is simply this. You only have two choices in the marketplace, my friends. One is to copy and the second is to lead. The leaders force the competition to play their game. Let me say that again. Leaders force the competition to play their game. And so either what you're doing is that the competition is setting the terms of the game. And the terms of the game could be the features that their product has or service has in terms of matching to benefits, so it could be in that part. It could be the sales process. It could be the client development process, or it could be a couple other things. But what you want to do is that you want to, be, you want to sell and service your accounts in ways that are distinctive, that once the customer has seen it, once the customer has received it and go, 
wow, these guys are really different. This is cool. I like this relationship. I like buying from them. Then what happens? What do you think happens when they're when your competitors try to go in there? Because just because you get that account doesn't mean that somebody else is not going to try to push you out there. If you've got good competitors, and hopefully you do, because if you get bad competitors, it, it really is not good for you as a business. Uh, you get you get sloppy, you get lazy. Good competitors keep you on your toes. They're always trying to move you out. Well, if you do it in a certain way, then what you basically have done is you. Then they're saying, well, you know, you guys, you know, you guys got good stuff, but man, you don't sell like those other guys, or you know, you're just not like those other guys. Um, in psychology, it's called the inoculation effect. Uh, much like you uh, get an inoculation for disease, and what happens is you get a little dose of it, you maybe get a little bit sick, or you don't even notice it in your body, but now your body is resistant to that disease if you get hit within a full-blown case. Exactly the same thing here happens. You've got an inoculation effect going on because when the competition comes in, you've already inoculated your accounts from getting their disease. And I'll tell you what, this is, this is absolutely critical. And if you're going to do business in a new way, and when we talked about, remember back when, when we talked about the, the characteristics uh, of those companies who were successful, one of the characteristics of their strategy, element number one we called it, was this whole issue about doing business in a new way. Well, this is part of what making the rules is about. And if you can do it in a new way and you can be distinctive, then you've inoculated your customers against the competition. And as long as you keep it up, um, then uh, you're going to keep them at bay. Another way of um, looking at this is, is uh, let me give you an example from the automotive industry here. And that is, um, you know, with the recent uh, demise of, of General Motors, who have become Government Motors, and uh, the demise of uh, Chrysler, um, who became who is now going to be fiat, or who knows what they're going to call it. Uh, if you go back into the 1990s, what I think is interesting about Chrysler uh, Motors, and I'm an old Mopar guy, I grew up at a time when um, you had allegiances to car companies. I know it's hard to believe, but you did. And if, you're, if your family drove a, a GM, you wouldn't be caught dead in a Ford. And I grew up in a Mopar family, and uh, if you were a Chrysler fan, uh, the 1980s was pretty lean. And then what Chrysler did is got its act together. And what Chrysler was able to do is Chrysler integrated its platforms. They were one of the first car companies in the U.S. to adopt uh, a computerized design and development model. And uh, not, that's just not CAD, but the whole process. And what Chrysler did is they did two things, which is why Mercedes or Daimler-Benz bought them. Number one is by integrating their, their entire process, what they called integrating platforms, they were able to bring their product cycle down uh, to the lowest in the industry. And if my memory serves me, is that the industry leader at the time was Toyota, and that it took 26 months for Toyota to go from conception to a car in the showroom. Chrysler got it down to 22 months. And by getting it down to 22 months, that means they could turn out new products quicker. So Chrysler, that's the first thing they did. The second thing they did is that they got close to the customer, very, very close to the customer. And as we talked about, auto, cars are a lifestyle choice, so it says something about you. And so what Chrysler got very good at is listening to the customer and finding out what the customer wanted. And then they got a group of 
talented young engineers who were willing to take risks with some kind of incredible designs. And so what you had from Chrysler is very close to the customer, listening to the market, some innovative and creative engineers who would put together something that was different. And as uh, Bob Lutz, who is now um, a vice president of General Motors and used to run the design center in Pontiac, not for Pontiac, but in Pontiac for all General Motors, Bob Lutz at the time, who was a Chrysler, said, uh, we, we build cars for 30% of the people. We don't, we're not General Motors. We don't build all these different models. We don't buy, build a car that everybody's going to like. What we want is we want 30% of the market to go, wow, and 70% of the market to go, yuck, because we'll sell the 30%. So with these innovative designs and the integrated platform, Chrysler was turning out new cars every 22 months. Well, here you've got General Motors, which has got a platform time of 45 months. So I think you can see what the play is going to be here. Chrysler turns out a car. It's hot. People love it. It's got great styling. And Chrysler's were always great value for what you paid for them. Um, what General Motors would do is say, oh, we've got to respond to the market. General Motors would then begin to do their development process. And then 22 months later, Chrysler would pop out another one. Well, guess what? General Motors would probably be maybe at most two-thirds along the way in the development. It would stop the development of the automobile that they currently had or the model because they, what they had to do is they had to respond to what GM was, uh, to what Chrysler was doing. And so it, it increased the amount of time it took them to get the, uh, the automo uh, automobile out. It increased the cost of it. It decreased the margin. And so what you had is that Chrysler was turning out basically four cars for every three that Ford turned out and every two that General Motors turned out. And one of the reasons why Chrysler was so profitable, and believe it or not, Chrysler was the, one of the most profitable car companies in the world in the middle 1990s, and why Daimler-Benz bought them was because they had this hot, innovative system only to get thrown into the German machinery, and you have the story at the very end. So one of my favorites is making the rules. If you're not making the rules, you are not winning. You are not a player. All right, with that, let me just stop here to talk a little bit about uh, the company, Applied Knowledge Labs, uh, my, uh, my child, my baby, my fifth startup. And um, what, what are we here to do? Well, I don't know about you, but I constantly get running out every day about the economy. Uh, I'm constantly stressed out because I sell mostly, we sell mostly to small businesses. Um, everybody is right now spending nothing. Nobody's spending any money because they're all worried about where the next dollar is coming from, or they're, they're worried about the, whether or not they're going to get their lines of credit renewed. And so uh, the challenge you've got in small business is that there's just nobody out there for you. And I, I, I have exactly the same feeling, and I'm tired, I'm tired of the stress. I'm tired of being alone, and I'm tired of, of, of not having anybody out there to help me take this dream and turn it into reality. Our goal for our company is the IPO. We're going to go public with this bad boy. We're going to commoditize the industry. I mean, we have huge, huge dreams here. Well, the, what our company does is we help those of you out there who have those huge dreams and are tired of trying to do this by yourself. Um, you got to, you, the three things are going to happen. One is you're not going to make it, and you're going to go away. The second one is you're going to take a long time through the school of hard knocks to figure out how to do it. And number three, you can take advantage of what we know because that's all we've got. We've collected that information. We are a warehouse of knowledge, and our job is basically to show you how to aggressively grow your business uh, in any economy regardless. So I just finished putting together a new paper uh, on what are the best practices 
of, of companies in contracting economies, basically recessions. And if you'd like to get your hands on that, um, I'll send it to you. You can email me at eastman at aklabs.org. That's E-A-S-T-M-A-N at A-K-L-A-B-S dot O-R-G. Or you can call me on our new Skype hotline at 804-471-1660. That's 804-471-1660. And I'll shoot that right out to you. So uh, you can check out our website. But basically, we're here to support your transformation of dreams into reality. Okay. So we t- we've talked about three of the, uh, the chapters of the book, the attributes. Let me talk about the fourth one. And this one is called Research Driven. I am a huge fan of intuition. And I know that really good entrepreneurs have got great guts. And what I mean by guts, I don't mean just courage, but a real intuitive sense. You just know when something's up. You just know when there's a problem. Or when you begin to see a shift in the market, you just got a sense for things are in play. I'm not exactly sure why. And the difference between entrepreneurs and business owners who make it and ones that don't is that the ones that make it just don't rely on their intuition alone, is that intuition built on hardcore, provable facts is incredibly powerful. Intuition based upon intuition is incredibly dangerous. And when we talked about, um, I believe it was element number three of those business strategies where those companies took monumental risk, it was part of their strategy, I guarantee you that that monumental risk was built upon provable facts, research that they did in the market. And so what this means, research-driven, is that the organization and specifically the owner and the executives of the firm, if I can call you that, if it's you and your partner and then you two are the, the executives of the firm, is that you do not have to be convinced or coerced into doing a little market research before you take a new direction or you build a new product or you open a new division. Whatever the new thing is going to be, whatever the improvement is going to be, is that you base that on research. And so this is really the orientation of the owner or the senior group in this company. And if you don't have that orientation, you're going to get yourself into trouble because my, my guess is going to be in the long term, your gambles, your bets, your new initiatives are going to be nothing more than a, con, a coin toss. They're going to be 50-50s. Um, if you base it on provable facts, you can greatly, greatly increase your odds. And I'm not going to tell you whether you use intuition first and then go get the facts to either prove or disprove it, or you go get the facts first and then you use your intuition as you look at the data. My style is that I love to have the research and the data in front of me, and then I look at it and I begin to look for patterns, and I really trust my intuition when I've got good data in front of me. Uh, because sometimes it's not a math formula, it's not 1 plus 1 equals 2, is that it could be 1 plus 1 equals 11, you know, that type of thing. So that's the fourth. And so let me, let me go back through the four attributes, the four chapters of this book. The book is called Competitive Landscape. That is the best practice. The chapters in the book is impacting new customers, and that is understanding what benefit you're going to provide to them, uh, how are you going to affect their need or lifestyle to selling to uh, consumers? 
uh, if you're selling to businesses, how are you going to impact their competitive advantage? And the power of this will be determined by your sales process. Impact on existing customers is Chapter 2. And that's by improving your knowledge of the customer and how they use or consume what you have to offer is that you can understand how to improve the relationship by improving the offer itself. And the impact of this, the way that you make this work, is your client development process. The third one, and my favorite, is making the rules. And what this is all about is how do we, how do we um, create, how do we create a landscape that is ours that we make our competitors compete in, um, and it's the inoculation effect. We we make it difficult. The cost of switching for the customer is very high because they enjoy what you're doing. And then finally, it's an orientation of the owner and the executives, and that orientation is basically this: that what they are what they are looking to do is they're looking to create an environment where they are making the rules. Now, how do you do that? Well, quickly, yesterday we talked about this, and I'm just going to reinforce it. And this is from show of, uh, of the show on 7 July, and that is you do it through market studies, executive advisory councils, focus groups, and research services. So go back and check on that. Um, that show 598-738 if you're using Block Talk radio numbers using dates 7 July. Okay, tomorrow's show, second book on the shelf is called Targeted Industries, and that is based upon the competitive landscape, which industries that are local to you within your reach are you going to target? Which are the ones with the highest uh, unmet or unserved needs and highest financial return? So with that, have yourself a great business day. Thanks for joining, whether you've been in, on live or you're doing the MP3 and uh, wealth and prosperity to you. Take care.